Hey, Truth Tribe, I am on vacation, but before you turn the episode off, please know that this is an incredibly important episode with such rich content, and even though this wasn't planned, the timing is so perfect for it to land in the middle of the lies about abuse series that we're dealing with. This episode was from a Zara Talks episode that I did that poses the question whether reconciliation is required with forgiveness. And I actually did a poll on my community tab on YouTube asking people, you know, do you think reconciliation is required with forgiveness? And the options were, no, I don't believe that it's required. You can forgive someone and discern it's not healthy to reconcile. The other option was, yes, of course it's required or else you didn't really forgive what do you think people voted most what was the most voted answer go check that out on my youtube community tab at youtube.com slash zara hairston it is important to note that this audio has been ripped from a video so it will sound different than the podcast audio i normally record however it is so rich in information it's worth sharing i'm going to bring the episode to you that deals with this question and since you know we deal with lies about love in relationships i want you to see whether it's a lie that reconciliation is required with forgiveness and for the month of august uh the rest of the month i will also give you uh one more throwback episode for this month and then we'll return in september with brand new episodes and pick up the lies about abuse series enjoy the episode Love doesn't lie or expect you to live one. What lies do you believe about love? I'm Zara Hairston, an author, relationship, and mindset coach who helps those mistreated and struggling with toxic attachments to set boundaries in unhealthy areas so they can maintain their personalized emotional growth goals. Welcome to my podcast, What Kind of Love Is This?, where I uncover common deceptions that lead us to accept what isn't even love. Brought to you by ZaraHairston.com. This podcast is not a substitute for counseling or therapy. It is intended for informational purposes only. Don't trust deceptive words. We don't exactly know when someone has especially been a liar. You can never be responsible for someone else's sin. I can't tell you how many times I've been told to reconcile with someone even though they were hurting me and weren't even sorry for what they did. Up until the point where I was talking to my husband recently and I was breaking down crying because someone had hurt me really bad again and pretty much everything they said they wouldn't do, they did. One of the things that I cried out to my husband was, I'm tired of hurting. Like, why do I keep getting hurt? And as the days went by, the Holy Spirit just so softly and sweetly said to me, you keep getting hurt because you're allowing it. That the decisions that I was making were in contradiction to what biblical love and healthy relationship really is. But we're so often taught that forgiveness and reconciliation is the same thing. That when you forgive someone, you have to be in relationship with them. Especially people in the church, they teach you that when you are hurt and you suffer a wrong that god gets glory out of that so continue to suffer these wrongs continue to let people hurt you even though they're not sorry even though they're not repentant even though they haven't confessed what they've done 
continue to be in relationship with them guilted into reconciliation god is not honored by you being in an unhealthy relationship and he's not pleased with that now of course we're going to go through suffering of course we're going to go through difficulty and i'm not talking about just getting into arguments or you know just having some challenges here and there i'm talking about being emotionally abused spiritually abused mentally abused and even physically abused god is not honored in you being abused in order to glorify him you've been guilted into reconciliation so many times in personal life and especially in the church and so many people are bound by this idea and this notion that we are supposed to be abused in order to glorify god and help people come to repentance and that's not necessarily always true in my most recent situation i one experienced emotional abuse and that was pretty much someone gaslighting you if you don't know what gaslighting means let's take a look gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation that seeks to sow seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or in members of a targeted group making them question their own memory perception and sanity using persistent denial misdirection contradiction and lying it attempts to destabilize the victim and delegitimize the victim's beliefs yes this is true and this is what happens when you are gaslighted i also experienced psychological trauma due to spiritual abuse because spiritual abuse is when someone uses the guise of religion to administer abuse they use the word they use religion they use god well, they'll say things like well if you really love god then you're supposed to show me love and you're supposed to kind of give me a pass for the hurt that i have offended you with or if you really a christian then that shouldn't bother you so much if you're really mature in christ you should be able to deal with this or you should be able to cover my sins and that brings us to a scripture that i want to talk about that a lot of abusers and offenders use to make the offended stay in the relationship or they shame them manipulate them or guilt them into believing that they're glorifying god by accepting ungodly behavior that psychologically or physically traumatizes them so let's look at first peter 4 8 because this is one of the scriptures that a lot of people use there are a lot more than this specific scripture and i want to note that a lot of times the main people that throw out these scriptures are people that don't even follow the word themselves but then they try to guilt and manipulate you into believing that you should follow it when they themselves don't even follow it but first peter 4 8 let's check it out above all things have intense and unfailing love for one another for love covers that's that word they use a multitude of sins forgives and another one disregards the offenses of others now the error in people trying to use scriptures like first peter 4 8 to control and manipulate people is the fact that that scripture is not saying that you're we're supposed to turn a blind eye to sins first peter 4 the whole chapter is really about exhorting holiness and so you can't exhort holiness and cover up and hide and turn a blind eye to sin so first peter 4 is not saying somebody sins against you let's all act like it never happened have a party and move on that's not even godly god doesn't even operate like that he's talking about this kind of action happening amongst true saints and true believers you're going to deal with someone who is an unbeliever a little bit differently than someone who is a believer. He's causing you to be a lot more accountable to the your brother, like the person of faith who is in the household of faith. And so when we're talking about in 1 Peter 4, 8, 
about covering sins. We're not talking about turning a blind eye. It's really saying, let's not aggravate this issue or spread it around. Let's not go around telling everybody the shortcomings of what this person has done. We're talking about a believer who's really just made a sincere and honest mistake. Like this, this, they didn't do this to intentionally hurt you because this scripture is talking about people who have had a true conversion. And so it's like, we're not trying to hold their past life before their conversion against them. And so signs of true conversion are people who demonstrate a life of holiness. So people who are demonstrating a life of holiness, they are not intentionally trying to continue to hurt you. And so what First Peter is talking about is that kind of person, a person who's not intentionally trying to hurt you, but they do have a past before they were converted. And we're not, we're going to cover their past because this person is new in God, but because they're human, they're going to make mistakes. So we want to cover the fact that as humans, we all make mistakes. We're not talking about abuse in this scripture. People try to use these things and say, oh, that means that I can abuse you. I can continually, perpetually, habitually hurt you, abuse you emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, and you're supposed to cover me, hide it, and don't tell nobody. That is so unbiblical and that is not what this scripture is talking about. For the mere fact of what I brought up earlier is that you cannot exhort holiness and hide sin. That is not even you know, a characteristic of God. How's it going so far? In the midst of that toxic relationship you might be dealing with, whether it's your parent, spouse, coworker, family member, whoever it may be, is this podcast filling you up with strength and encouragement to face it with a healthier outlook? Do you want to show your support? If so, I just wanted to stop for a moment and remind you that you can support this free podcast when you order from my shop, send a gift, or become a monthly patron. Your support not only helps you, but others, including myself. So if you find value in my content and it helps you grow, please consider showing your support. Find the links in the episode description. Thanks so much for your consideration. Now, back to the episode. I was in a church one time where people were intentionally hurting me, intentionally sabotaging me uh, week after week. And I talked about this in my Spilling the Tea on Me video about my worst church experience. And the pastor literally in that meeting told me that I need to cover their sins. And, you know, when I sat there and I heard him say that, I'm just like, wow, you know, I know God does cover my sins. He don't go around telling everybody, you know, what I've privately confessed to him. But I'm like, this, this, this doesn't seem like what this is. And as I did this study, I learned that, you know, covering sins is not about making people unaccountable to what they've done, hide them, and let's act like they never did it. What is this telling us so far? Let's take a look at Luke 17, 3. Pay attention and always be on your guard, looking out for one another. If your brother sins, misses the mark, solemnly tell him so and reprove him. And if he repents, feel sorry for having sinned, forgive him. I want to point out something really key here. When we see the word forgive in this scripture, we automatically assume that it means to pardon. But throughout the Bible, the word forgive, when you study the Greek version of that word, when you see it in scripture, it means different things. So forgive in this scripture is the Greek word aphemi, and it basically means to let go. But in other scriptures, you find that the word forgive has another Greek word. And that other Greek word is chorizomai, and it means pardon. It's important to look at the word beyond face value because you may read the word forgive, 
but as it's been translated over the years, one person is saying that it means this, but then when you dig deeper, you see that in this context, it means something different. In Luke 17, three here, we're seeing some key things. So just let's look at the scripture so we can break this down. Even though people try to make it seem like you have to reconcile, we see it so clearly here and we look at the scripture, it jumps right out at you. But before we get into what jumps right out at you, let's look at the fact that the scripture is telling us to solemnly tell him so. A lot of times we don't even get to the point where we tell him so or her so and reprove them because we're taught don't say nothing, just act like that ain't even happened and move forward. Something else that jumps out that's key. And if he repents, a lot of people just skip over that part. Important to note that forgiveness is really going to be between the hurt person and God. It's not necessarily between the person that hurt you and you. Because when we're hurt, we have to go to God to help us work out that heart issue. Let's connect. Follow me on Instagram at Zara Hairston. The person doesn't possess the power to give us the freedom from the hurt necessarily that we feel. Like that's only something that that inner working only happens through God, through his Holy Spirit. That's why when we are hurt, immediately we have to go to God. We don't immediately go to the other person and be like, look, we need to work out what you just did. You know what's amazing about God, though, is that when you are the one who's done someone wrong, he tells you to immediately go to the other person. If you are at the altar, he like bump all of that. Go ahead and make that right with that person that you wrong. That's showing you like God is so serious about people getting hurt. He don't like that. So he like, forget all that money you dropping down or whatever you trying to do all for show and all of this, whatever. Go make that right with that person. Put, put that down. He, I'm telling y'all, God is serious about making sure that his beloved are taken care of. He, he's not into you being abused by people. That's why when we are hurt, immediately we have to go to God. We don't immediately go to the other person and be like, look, we need to work out what you just did to me. You want to go to God and say, God, help my heart right now because before this turned into bitterness, wrath, vengeance, all kind of like nasty stuff that it can turn into, we want to go to God immediately so that he can help us filter those those dead things out and then we're in a position if you know he calls us to have a conversation a conf confrontation with the person to have a healthy dialogue depending on how the other party is but at least you will be where you need to be in your heart another thing we want to notice is that reconciliation the point of it all is to restore a relationship to like repair something that's damaged so that it's even better than it was before the hurt happened and as we see in scripture with a repentant person a damaged relationship cannot get to a better level unless the person is repentant so if the person isn't repentant you're just pretty much going in a cycle and that's what happened in my life people would say this is your this family member or this is your that at the church or this is that so you have to reconcile with them so even though i knew that they weren't sorry that their character and their behavior had not demonstrated any change or any repentance I was guilted into believing that I was unchristlike if I didn't fellowship with this person again. And so it's important to understand that that's not what reconciliation, you cannot reconcile with a person unless they are repentant and have demonstrated a changed behavior and characteristic. The difference between reconciliation and forgiveness is the fact that forgiveness is unconditional. No matter what someone does to you, God is calling us to forgive them. Reconciliation, on the other hand, is conditional. It's not unconditional. It is conditional and it depends upon a changed behavior. The desired outcome, what God would want in every situation would be reconciliation. 
but the mere fact that everyone is not repentant makes it impossible for every relationship to end in reconciliation. You cannot make the relationship better, you'll just end up getting trapped into a cycle where they continue to hurt you and hurt you, and then you'll be like me crying to my husband saying, why do I keep getting hurt? I'm tired of being hurt, and it's because I need to make a new choice. If I'm seeing that someone continually hurts me, that is a clear signal they are not repentant. Because they are not repentant, this relationship will never get better than it was before they hurt me. So. It's really simple when you lay it out like that, but when you're in it and you have people guilting you into reconciliation and shaming you into reconciliation and making you feel like you're crazy because you won't allow people to abuse you, that something is wrong with you. And that's just not true. When people hurt you, you can't be responsible for their sin. Like they have to be responsible for their sin. They have to know God enough to recognize that they have hurt someone Feel convicted by that. Feel it enough to get right with God first and then get right with that person. Trauma in childhood is so common. We often don't realize it's the very thing destroying who we are as adults. To move past it, we have to go back to where it began. It came to pass, book one, in the beginning. Visit itcametopass.com for more information. That's it came the number two pass.com. Now that we are armed with that information, what are some things that you want to specifically look for before you allow reconciliation to begin? There are three key things. The first is confession to God. Psalm 32 5 is a great example. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. So he's talking about covering stuff. Well, here he's saying, I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions continually unfolding the past till all is told. I mean, he, he getting it all out. Then you, thank you, God, instantly forgave me the guilt and iniquity of my sin because this is true repentance. The second is specific confession to you. Psalms 51, 17 says, my sacrifice, the sacrifice acceptable to God. This is the one that, is going to work with God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, broken down with sorrow for sin and humbly, humility, and thoroughly penitent. That's a key word. Such, oh God, you will not despise. So here it's like, look, I'm not covering up nothing. I'm getting specific. I'm broken. I'm confessing to you. I'm not going to cover that up and act like I didn't do what I did. We see in Proverbs 28:13 it says, "He who covers his transgressions will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes his sins will obtain mercy." So, confession and forsaking, that's like not just talking, but we have a behavior that's attached to the demonstration. Unless I'm able to do that, I'm not truly sorry. But if I am truly sorry and this is what I do, look what happens. It says that he will obtain mercy. And that's when scriptures like 1 Peter 4, 8 really come into hand because, okay, since you're sorry, now I'm gonna cover you. You know, you really meant that, so I'm gonna cover you. But when you don't mean that, God tells us to do something which we're told not to do. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, if your brother wrongs you, go and show him his fault. 
between you and him privately. So we keeping this private and I'm, a, I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity to let me cover you. If he listens to you, you have one back your brother. But if he does not listen, no repentance. Take along with you one or two others. We give you another chance so that every word may be confirmed and upheld by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he pays no attention to them, still unrepentant, refusing to listen and obey, tell it to the church. So now we're going to go ahead and just, we not, we uncover him, we tell him. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, and this is what I was talking about before, when you're going to be treating people who are not of the faith a little bit differently. It says, let him be to you as a pagan and a tax collector. This is showing us that we are treating people different according to where they stand in the faith. So you talking about, we going to cover you and we going to act like you ain't do what you did. That ain't biblical. Here we see right here, there's a process to how we handle this thing when people hurt and offend us. So I'm giving you the opportunity to let me cover you by allowing you to be repentant and handle it the right way. But if you don't, guess what? We telling everybody. Now that's scripture. The third is changed behavior. Matthew 7, 16 is a prime example. You will fully recognize, see, spot, be able to tell, signal them by what? Their fruits. Do people pick grapes from thorns or figs from thistles? Only God can read hearts. We down here on this earth, humans, we must evaluate actions. So tears and promises and all the appearances of being sorry are not substitutes for clear change in attitude and behavior. Actions speak louder than words. Now, stay tuned. I have some bonus clips to help you get even more help from biblical counselors Patrick Doyle and Leslie Vernick. I think rarely, if the person claims faith, rarely are they unaware. If you don't know and you're a person of faith, I gotta question your faith because how can you mistreat somebody that long and God not tell you? So your denial system is very significant. Mm -hmm. If you're God's child, you living in abject unawareness of another human being will not happen as a result of his spirit being in you. Mm -hmm. That's not how it works. Is they don't ever take responsibility for anything. They rationalize, they minimize, they justify, they spiritualize, they deny. They never look you in the eye and go, you know, when I said X, Y, or Z to you, I was wrong. It was my fault. I'm broken. I'm convicted by that. I don't want to be that way. I'm going to change. And the motivation stays with the offender. The person who's being offended doesn't have to provide the motive for the other person to change. In God's economy, if someone's being harmful, doing something wrong to someone else, it's their responsibility to come to terms with their own sin, with their own wrong. And you can never be responsible for someone else's sin. This is where the humility is evident or not evident. Right. You know, when we mess up, a person who's deceptive isn't going to change overnight, right? They're just not going to change overnight. A person who's a yeller is not going to stop overnight. But this is where the humility comes in. I'm aware I have a problem. Mm -hmm. I invite you to speak into my life about Give this problem. Yeah. And when I mess up and I'm aware that I, I am aware I just lied to my wife, I didn't want to, but here it came out because it's in a habit, I'm gonna own that. I'm gonna confess that to you. I'm gonna say, you know, honey, I, I didn't mean to, but I just told another lie because I'm so in a habit pattern of right. deceit. That is so restorative when someone begins to own their own stuff that that's when you begin to trust that repentance has really taken place. Joseph is a really good example in Genesis of a test. You know, when he first met his brothers when they came back from Egypt and he was the Pharaoh's right-hand man, 
He loved his enemies. They were his enemies, so to speak. They he hurt him. They slavery. harmed him. Right. They sold him into slavery. He had bared no ill will toward them. He offered them food. He took care of their needs. But he wasn't going to reconcile with them. He didn't expose himself to them or drop his guard, so to speak, until he tested them. So he put the cup in their sack. He put the money bag in their sack. He kind of confiscated Benjamin to see if they would throw him under the bus and leave him, you know, like they did him. And when he saw that his brother's hearts were different, yeah. that's when he said, my brothers, this is Joseph. He was offering himself for a relationship again. John the Baptist says it really well when he says to the Pharisees, who are great with words, <laughs> yep. he says, show me by the way that you live yep. that you've turned from your sin and repented to God. Behaviorally, not words, I'm behaviorally motivated to show you, the person I've harmed, behaviorally, that I'm so sorry and I'm different. Mm. And the motivation is in me. It's not something you got to keep feeding. If you don't see that contrition, you have no business reconnecting or making yourself vulnerable. You have to keep the boundary up. And this is where it's so hard for people. Because a lot of their training is you don't do that. You can't just blindly trust someone. You have, yeah. to, you have to slowly check them out. Because yeah. I've seen this, and I hate to say this, but it's true. Many times I've seen people go to their pastors and their pastors completely mishandle it. And then it's worse. You've been looking for my relationship quotes on Instagram, haven't you? Well, in me looking for ways to give my supporters exclusives, I've moved them over to Patreon. So they're no longer for just anybody and exclusively for those who support my content monthly on Patreon. These vital reminders are for those who constantly are tempted to deny or accept mistreatment. The quotes help you remember my signature line, love doesn't lie or expect you to live one. And some of us need this reminder in our face consistently to help us choose truth, especially when it comes to relationships. So become a Truth Tribe patron to get my weekly quotes, plus a few of the perks. Use the Patreon link in the description or visit patreon.com slash truth tribe. Before you reconcile with someone who has hurt you, abused you, offended you, you need to look for these three key things. The first is that they have confessed to God. You're not going to be able to restore a relationship if they haven't even been able to understand that they trespassed against God by hurting you. Second, make sure that they have confessed specifics to you. When someone's truly sorry, they know what they're sorry for. It's not something that you have to tell them. And third, make sure that there is a demonstration of changed behavior. Again, you are not called to read minds. Only God can do that. You can only assess actions. So look at their actions as a signal to whether or not they're really, truly sorry. Do you need more individualized support to identify, overcome, and prevent toxic attachments? Your need and my expertise might just be a match. Go to ZaraHairston.com slash coach me to find out. Yeah, bless. Thanks for enjoying this podcast. 